Well, good morning. So uh, we are in a series. We're in a series called Fired Up, and we do this every summer. So it's called Fired Up 2012. That's well named, right? So uh, we didn't spend a lot of time on that title. We just moved on. Our goal each week is to talk about the pastors, what they're fired up about, and Lord willing, by the end of each day, what we all are fired up about, okay? So Fired Up 2012, we launched this a couple weeks back with Pastor Kent, and he was talking through John chapter 15, where he was talking about what it means to abide with him, what it means to spend time with him, like throughout every day, yes, he is everywhere, but Lord, may we recognize your presence, and may we celebrate your presence, and may we live with you, recognizing and talking with you, communing throughout the day, abide with him. And, and then last week, Pastor Steve brought Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Spend time with them. You know, both of those are about relationship, about experience, about knowing God deeply and richly in your day-to-day life. And so today we're going to continue in that vein, um, but we got to make sure that we take into whole what's going on. So, hey, God is good. If God's about relationship, what's going on in Aurora, Colorado with the shooting on Friday? What is going on with a guy who dresses up and puts on the armor plated whatever and comes in with guns and gas and, and shoots off the gas canisters and has 12 people killed and 50 plus people injured and what's going on? And let's make sure we address a little bit of that and understand a little bit of it as we talk through the challenge of running with him in relationship with him. I just wrote these things down to make sure we keep it understood. What we're going to do is just put some poles in the tent. You know what I'm saying? It's not meant to answer every question. Let's just make, we just make sure we get some principles and some outline of what we know about our God. Number one, we are in a war with evil. Yeah, you may want to write some of these down. We are in a war with evil. May God Almighty get the glory. Number two, our God is sovereign. Everything does run through his hand. He absolutely is in charge. It doesn't mean he mandates everything, but it does mean he either dictates and mandates or allows. Everything runs through his hand. Everybody say every, everything. everything. Like how much runs through his hand? Yeah, our God is sovereign. He is overall. And, and when something evil like this happens, it's not an indication that our God has lost control. So what is it then? Well, let's make sure we keep understanding. So God is sovereign. That comes from Isaiah 45, if you want one great passage to be looking at. Isaiah 45, God is sovereign. God is good. Hey, we looked at that last week, Psalm 34. God is good. And let's make sure we don't look at it and say, hey, if something bad like that happened, God must be less than good. And let's make sure it reflects poorly on who it should reflect poorly on. Uh, that would be us, right? Mankind struggles and we have shortcomings and the evil and the sin and the temptation and the mistakes and the less than holiness sits on us. And let's be careful. God is good. Psalm 34 uh, evil has its source, man. Romans chapter 5. Evil has its source, and that's man. Romans chapter 5. Number 5. God works in this evil world 
with a goal, not of stopping all evil, that would end this world and you and me immediately. His goal is not to stop all evil, but rather to reconcile hearts in the midst of a fallen evil world. Man, this is a big deal. This is one we have to grasp. Second Corinthians chapter four, by the way, if you want a passage, God is a reconciling God. And in the midst of this evil world and in the midst of its fallenness, he could choose to say, I am a holy God. I will not put up with this. Boom. And it's done. You and I are done then too. Everything everywhere walking in some level of opposition to him, which is everyone is immediately done in that plan. His plan is in the midst of the fallenness to win back souls to him. We have a reconciling God. We have a good God, a relational God, a sovereign God, a reconciling God. And the source of evil, well, that sits on us. May we keep that in mind as we try to process what's happening. A couple more points here. Number six, uh, we must see him as our shepherd. In every experience we have, we're ready to walk with him. Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God knows what he's doing. We don't get it. That's where we have to stand. So I've just put here number seven. God has a bigger plan to remove evil once and for all. Just say those words with me once and for all. God is going to remove evil when once and for all. I'm telling you this revelation 19 all the way through to the end 22. God has a plan. Evil will be managed. Hang on in forbearance. God is standing. I'm telling you the worst thing that can happen in moments like this. Is that a fist gets shaked at the almighty, sovereign, good, creating, forbearing, loving God who is working in our midst. Lord, what do you have in store? And how should we be processing this? Last one I just put here. His ways are not our ways. Hey, let's just admit it. Our view of evil, it's just in shades of gray, right? Like we wake up and we see the TV or hear something on the radio on Friday and we're like, oh, now that, that was horrific. Me and what I did yesterday, that was fine, right? That's how we live life. Like we're good with me and my sin and we're good with the general junk of the world. But when it gets just a little bit too much, then all of a sudden we tend to raise up and complain and hey, we're just living in shades of gray. Let's just admit it. God's view is extremely different than our view. He sees holiness as holiness and everything else as not. And in his forbearance, he is working with us to reconcile us. He is loving us mercifully and graciously. God has a plan. Deuteronomy 29, 29. His ways are above our ways. They're a mystery. Let them be what they are at times. Like I'm telling you this, the universe and the explanation of all going on in the universe may at times be a little bigger than the human logic. Just a little. Amen? That's a good place for an amen. You can cry it out. Like a little bigger than human logic. 
yeah, amen. Like we have a God who knows what he's doing. Let's lean on him. Let's trust in him. He is reconciling in the midst of a hurt and broken world. And at times things happen with our, that are absolutely tragic and we wrestle with it. Know this, God sees many more things as tragic than we do. And he's working with them all. We have a forbearing God who's got a plan. Well, if we're not supposed to blame God, then what exactly do we do right now? Because I was kind of doing that. You know, our goal should be to live in this world, this war against evil and say, Lord, may you be worshiped. Lord, I'm ready to take on whatever I need to take on that you might get the greater glory. I'm ready for holiness to be a part of my life like never before. God, may I begin to see you work in me like never before. And one by one, let's see this place rocked for you. May you get the greater glory. And Lord, we're looking expectantly. Towards the time where it is once and for all evil managed. That's the best way we can manage through some of these tough hurts and losses. God, may we run to your side. And when we don't understand it, we lean all the more into you. Processing through what's been going on this past week. So let me just ask you this. Are you ready to wage war against evil? Are you ready to wage war against evil? It starts in your heart, right where you're at, running with him and his holiness. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. And let's get going here. 1 Peter 1, verse 13. We got ushers coming forward. They got Bibles in their hands. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. They'll get one to you. We're going to walk verse by verse through this, all right? So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand and they'll get one to you. 1 Peter 1, verse 13. All right, first step, long for Jesus' powerful return. Long for Jesus' powerful return. We'll start in verse 13. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Therefore, and whenever we see it, therefore, we say... Yeah, so for those of you who haven't been with us for a while or haven't been with us at all, and this is your first day, we say, what's the therefore, therefore? It's a connecting word. It's put there for a reason. It's saying whatever was going on before has some cause that we should now be acting into. What is it? Well, if you look back, verse 10, it says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully the prophets were in awe of the salvation available to man and notice at the end of verse 12 it says which angels long to look into the prophets and the angels are stunned with salvation offered up to mankind to you and to me salvation so rich and free therefore all right That's the connecting word. So with that stunning salvation, let's do the following. Preparing your minds for action. Preparing your minds. Notice it's in the ING form, like it's ongoing, regular, here and now. Keep doing it. It literally means, this is what in the original language, gird up the loins of your mind. Okay? It literally means 
for all of you men keep wearing robes, it's time for war. So grab the robe and hike it up and cinch it with a belt that's girding up, right? And get ready to run into battle. Prepare your minds for action. Like get ready for war because it's out there and we need to be established in taking a position. Preparing your minds and being sober-minded. Sober. Hey, we know that word. What's the opposite of the word sober? Drunk. Like, I can't think straight. I can't walk straight. I have a distorted view of life and living, right? That's drunken in your thinking. Sober in your thinking. Clear. No distortion. I get what's right. I get what's wrong. I know what I need to be headed after. I know what God's glory is. I know how to lift him up. May he be praised in my life. The good God of relationships. Sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. Set. This literally means to choose. Did you know that? You have a place to put your hope and you have a choice of where to put it. Decide where you're going to put your hope and put it there. Okay? Set. It's a willful personal decision. Set your hope... This is the word we would use that means you have an absolute confidence of things to come. An assurance, like the hope, we've talked about this before around here, it's not the hope that we use today, right? The hope in America today. Boy, I hope the Cubs win. (laughs) Right? Hope. Like, it means there is absolutely no chance whatsoever, and so I throw the word hope on it as if that somehow will make it better. Right? I hope... And so somehow we then tie that to Christianity and have a hope in Jesus Christ and what just happened. Let's be careful. Hope means an absolute confidence in what's coming. Set your hope fully, not in part, fully on the grace, on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Grace, that thing you do not deserve. That's what grace means. The lavishing out of mercy and forgiveness, the giving to us what we do not deserve. Hey, we have just talked about it. We all stand in a position of in defiance against God, but he offers up forgiveness through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And know this, that was his first coming. Christ came as servant, as sacrificing savior first. That's who our initial savior was, but he is coming again and he is coming with authority and he is coming with power and set your hope fully on the grace of Jesus Christ revealed in the end. And all of God's people said, yeah, amen. So we've preached through this before, but I'm going to turn to revelation 19. If you want to turn there, you can, we're just going to read real quickly. Revelation 19 verse 11 like to hear the pages rustling, so I'll wait a second. Revelation 19, verse 11. Jesus Christ is coming again, and there is a once and for all, done with evil, God in charge. Here we go. John says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called, 
the word of God, Jesus Christ. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, that's you and me, it's going to be an awesome time, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, the only weapon talked about here, with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepresses of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And all of God's people said... Hey, you've heard me preach this passage before. I get pumped up about Revelation 19. Our God is coming again. Our king will rule for eternity. And evil will be put in its place. And for all eternity, we can celebrate life and relationship with him. Revelation 21. Turn to verse 1 there if you want. Revelation 21 verse 1. What's it going to look like? What's it going to be like? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, probably better put there thundering. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people relationship and God himself will be them will be them as their God. He will wipe away. Here we go. Every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And all of God's people said that's what we're looking for. Evil has its place put aside. And in the moment right now, we have a God of forbearance. He is coming again to reign for eternity. And our King of Kings will be coming on a white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth, meaning watch out. The word of God is in powerful word and he is going to put things right. Our King reigns. Be patient. God's doing something. Watch his forbearance and let that be your thermostat, not your own forbearance. Watch God work. Speaking of forbearance and thermostats, our air conditioning went out this week. And, uh, yeah, it doesn't go out when it's 79 outside. Have you noticed that? So it went out when it was hitting the 90s and the 100s, and we're out there trying to water the feeble brown grass because somebody told us it does actually die at some point. It doesn't just go dormant. That's a vicious rumor. So it dormant for a long time, and then it's done, and then it crisps, and then you have hay, right? So we're about at hay in our front yard. So I start doing the watering, and Jana comes out, and she goes, just so you know, it's like up to 87 in the house now, and I think we have a problem. And so we called, and they said, we'll be out tomorrow. Great. That would be wonderful. So, of course, I'm thinking hotel, you know, and uh, so we decided, no, let's go to the basement. And uh, so we went downstairs and uh, turned on the fans and uh, everybody took a seat on the couch that was kind of like, don't touch me. (laughs) Just just move aside and let's watch a movie together. We'll laugh and be together at a distance. (laughs) Stay over there. And, uh, and so we spread out and we hung out in the basement that evening and uh, he did come the next day. It turns out that uh, everything was fine with the air conditioner except one piece. The one piece that was wrong was a capacitor. 
the charge that sits across the compressor. That's the only piece that was wrong. We were missing a charge. And because we were missing the charge, the whole rest of it didn't work. And I'm telling you, that's just like your Christian walk. Like you may have everything you need to be fired up and running with him. But without that pumped up, charged up, ready to go, it just sort of sits there fighting the battle and losing. Make sure you're charged up. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be revealed when Christ returns. Man, be pumped. He's got it under control. I'm telling you, I'm looking forward to the return of Christ like never before. The Almighty King is returning. Evil will get its due. Christ will reign. And all of God's people said... Long for the powerful return of Christ. It's number one in going against evil. It's number one in going for holiness. Number two. Number two. Hear his voice and follow his lead, not the world's. Hear his voice and follow his lead, not the world's. All right? We have a king who's coming. It starts out in verse 14 here next. As obedient children then, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. As obedient children, like when you're asked what to do, do it. Happily. That's an important last word, isn't it? Moms, isn't that an important last word? And you can ask for something to be done and they're like, fine, whatever. And then they walk off to do it and you're like, I love my children, right? Those moments where we're challenged to say, that's not obedience. I'm not interested in the task as much as I'm interested in your heart. And parents, just so you know, that is where we need to be in our parenting. Help shape that heart to the right spot. Don't just get them to do a task, all right? And as obedient children, he says here, this is what we're all called to in following him. If you trust Christ as your personal savior, if his shed blood is covering you and that's your hope for eternal security, which by the way is the only hope we have. If that's where you stand, you are his child as obedient children do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, conformed like shaped, made malleable by the passions, you know, those desires, those hungers, those pangs, those longings, those wants, the passions of your former ignorance. Peter doesn't pull a punch, right? When you were clueless, that's what you followed. Please don't do that anymore. That's what he's saying. Of your former ignorance, like you did not understand what was going down. You did not grasp God's holiness. You did not understand your lack of holiness. You didn't understand the offense of where you were added. Please, that's an ignorance position. Fine. Now you're informed. Don't live that way anymore. As obedient children, don't follow those passions. But, nice connecting word. So going the opposite. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Leviticus eleven forty four says, I am the Lord, your God. So be holy as I am holy. That's where this quote is coming from. I am the Lord, your God. He did not say I'm God. He did not say I'm a God. He said, I am your God. Now be holy like I'm holy. Follow me. 
I've got an unbelievable plan and you would not even begin to comprehend the vastness of it. Whatever you think of, bigger, right? Ephesians chapter 3, we've talked about that prayer. I'm telling you, I've got great things in store. Follow me. Watch what I'm about to do. Be holy as I am holy. What a great privilege we have to follow our king, to listen to him. Be holy as I am holy. I just wrote down here, I'm not sure I understand what that means. I'm not even sure how it works. I try to be holy and I keep coming up short. And so you may have heard of the word sanctification, right? Sanctification. It's this idea of us growing to be more like Christ. We start out at salvation in one spot, but he continues to do a miracle within us and heal us. And we become more and more like him in sanctification. It's a changing process. We're always in it, this side of heaven and then glorification, like, and it's done. Like we're in heaven now for all of eternity and we grasp him with full perfection. So sanctification, I keep trying this battle of doing good and it just keeps collapsing on me. Okay, probably muscling it yourself. And we use the word muscling because it gets it across really well. It's you trying alone and it's only your effort and strength. That's not going to get very far. All right. So the goal is God's changing us. Second Corinthians chapter three, his glory pouring over me. That's what transforms me. Yeah, my cooperation, but yes, his power. And without the two together, it doesn't go. So here's my summary of sanctification. Sanctification in one word. Miracle. You may want to write these down. Sanctification in one word. Miracle. Sanctification in two words. Being transformed. It's a process, so it's in the ING. Being transformed. Sanctification in three words. Cooperating with God. God's doing a work. We're, we're, we're allowing him to work. We're letting him, as Colossians 3 says, let the peace of Christ rule. Let the word of God richly dwell. There's a work that we have in, in allowing God the privilege of working. He's able to just roll right over our will. But instead, he chooses to hold back in forbearance and allowing us to learn to let go of it and hate it and begin to love what he loves and hate what he hates. And as we let go and run to him, a real relationship is established and he's pouring his glory in and he's surgically removing and we're growing to be more like him. That's sanctification. It's an unbelievable privilege of God at work in us. Well, I'm not sure I know how to do that on a daily basis. All right. So here's a couple of questions you might ask yourself. Some questions in order to allow God to be sanctifying. Uh, a couple of these are the simple ones we may have already heard. So uh, would you see Jesus thinking that? If you were to contemplate Jesus, is that something Jesus would be thinking about? Is that something Jesus would be doing? Is that something Jesus would be watching? Is that something Jesus would be laughing at? Hey, we're supposed to be following him. Let's put the filter on of what would you be doing in this situation, Lord? And where should I be on it? And we've got a lot of example within scripture to follow. Let him lead. Lord, what do you want me to do here? You know, it's blowing up at work and I'm getting yelled at and and I've had enough. And so what's next? Or, or, you know what, I'm in the home and my spouse is yelling at me and raising their voice and I've had enough. It's time for me to fix that. And, and so what do I do? 
And what's it look like for us to manage the day-to-days of real world, fallen world, that he might be glorified? The last question to write is just, Lord, what do you want right now that I might abide with you and address this problem? That I might abide with you and address this problem. Communicate with him. See what he's got in store. Get ready to say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Because he might bring to view something that you've been wrong on. And the reason the person's so hot is because you got them hot. And be careful. You might need to apologize. And you might need to say, I'm sorry. I didn't realize the plan was to leave at 2 o'clock. Or 11 o'clock. And that we had a difference of opinion there. And, and that we have to work it hypothetically. Of course. Yesterday as we were supposed to go to Rockford. And had a complete misunderstanding as to when we were supposed to leave. And I was off by three hours to the late side. And uh, yeah. There's times where you have to talk things out. And sometimes it gets heated. And then you need to go back and apologize. And, and yeah. Well the kids were around. Because they were going to be going on the trip with us. So sit them down and have a talk. And. It didn't go well. We were wrong. Please forgive me for how I handled that. And don't model that. And I was wrong for that. And let's make sure we understand that holiness involves, Lord, please forgive me. And let's work together in the midst of it. But we're running towards clear holiness, what he would be all about. Lord, I want to be your obedient child. Well, it doesn't look all that enticing to me sometimes, Tim. That holiness thing, I think it's kind of oversold. I mean, sin really does have payoff. I enjoy the feelings. And All right. Have you ever taken one of those glasses of water? Like you take a glass, fill it with water, it's clear, and you're looking at it. You take a pencil and you drop it in. Have you ever done this? And as it goes into the water, it actually looks like it's bending. Have you noticed that? And so it looks like it's bent in the water. They call that refraction. As the light hits and goes through the water, it actually turns angle. And so the thing looks bent. And you're like, that's weird. And you pull the pencil back out. Nope, it's perfectly fine. Put it back in, bent, right? And then you take the glass, pour the water out, and now look at it. And it's perfectly straight. Hey, I'm telling you, our view of holiness is often through a glass dimly filled with water of the world's junk and holiness looks bent. And I don't get it. And it doesn't seem that valuable. Lord, may there be less world in this cup right now because it's making you and your holiness not look all that enticing. And it's making the sin of this world look great. Please, Lord, help me pour the world out and hear more from you right now. Sin is not God saying don't. James McDonald quote here. It's not God saying don't. Sin is God saying don't hurt yourself. Right? Holiness has unbelievable joy and satisfaction and perfection and glory and peace on the backside of it. Long to be his obedient child. Seeing him at work in you. May God stir you up to be exactly what he wants you to be. And may you see through the glass exactly what holiness looks like. Lord, help us not to have that distorted view. So here's my simple question. Do you need to be pouring the world out? A little less of it so that you get a little bit more hunger for him. 
the best way to do it is just spending some time in his word and apologizing and letting it go. It may mean some shutting off or purifying or getting away from radio, TV, whatever. Lord, I need a little less of it right now. I need a little more hearing from you. Time to pour the word out or the world out. And then it's time for you to then say, what needs to go? Hey, what's the sin you've got that's so enticing that makes you grab on? That makes you want to hold on tight and say, this though, this I'm going to hold on to. What needs to be let go as an obedient child in his presence that he might get the greater glory? That you might experience peace and joy for eternity. Now it's time to let it go. The battle needs to be done. All right. Number three. Number three, count the cost. Count the cost. You know, there's two perspectives he gives here, one to self and one to Christ. So count the cost. We'll do the self piece first. That's what he's got in order here. He says, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear according or throughout the time of your exile. If you call on him as father who judges impartially, like if you're saved, if you see him as daddy, if you're reflecting on him and have a relationship with him, know this, he judges impartially according to the deeds you've done. Hang on, I thought we weren't saved by works. What's up with that? Let's make sure we interpret scripture by scripture, okay? So Romans 8 talks about the calling brings justifying, the justifying brings sanctifying, the sanctifying brings glorifying. We're Immediately, that's salvation through and through. It's not through works. And Ephesians 2 says, saved by faith and not by works, right? Otherwise, you could boast. So it's not about being saved. It's not about getting salvation, nor is it about keeping salvation. It's about something else. What is it? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 gives us a great understanding of it. Verse 15, I'll just read verse 15 to you. He's talking about rewards and works and that you can lose your rewards. There can be some burning up or loss of opportunity and privilege. And then it says this in verse 15. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, though as by fire. And all of God's people said? Yeah, that's a weak amen. And all of God's people said? Like, I'm telling you, this is huge. Salvation is not earned. Salvation is not kept by works. It is simply our works are a thanksgiving back to him. And there's a reward system in play. And there can be huge loss of reward. I have no idea what that looks like. In some places, there's a description of crowns. I, you know, we're, we're wearing like 13 of them. I don't get it. I'm not sure how the whole thing works. So it's more than an apparel. Okay. It's not like. I could give up a crown. I'll take the chance. Who cares? It's a little bit of a loss of wardrobe. That's not what's going on. There's something else happening. It's more than that. I I personally, I'll just throw this out there. The Bible according to Tim right now, it doesn't say this in here. I'll just throw this out though. I think that somehow in some way our positions have responsibility and authority and the higher the levels, the more we get to experience a deepness of him. And so it's not that you're sad where you're at, but the higher or whatever other responsibilities you have, the more and the richer and the deeper, the more satisfying, the unbelievable. So it's just constantly better and better and better. That's got to be something about what it's about. And just know this, the loss of reward can be had, but you don't lose your salvation in the midst. 
Great. Well, then I'll keep on sinning. Yeah, Paul addressed that. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What? Should we keep on sinning that grace may abound? God forbid. No, absolutely not. It's not about taking advantage of him. Hey, thanks for the salvation. Now I'm going to go my own way, the world according to me again. And and so I just live like I want to live. And hey, may sin not be your excuse. And may grace not be the abuse. Do you hear me? Like, may you not be abusing grace just to get what you want and go after what you want. We are called to holiness. Amen? That's what it's all about. Lord, may you be worshipped in my life. May I set down what I need to set down that you might get the greater glory. Count the cost. He says, with fear and in exile, with fear, that's respect and understanding and seeing his power and his authority. Uh, I heard it said this way, don't ever describe God as safe. Safe means it has no ability to hurt you at all. Safe is like something made out of simple plastic that bends as soon as it touches you and you have absolutely no fear of it in any way. Safe is not a description you give to the almighty authoritative God of the universe who in a moment can change anything and everything and calls us to holiness. But... He is good and he is loving and he is gracious and he is merciful and it takes his holiness and puts in perspective and the worship we can have as we see a God where we deserve something completely other, but he's giving us the chance to live with him as if we're clothed with the very righteousness of Christ. What a God we have. May we worship him, not because he's safe. I'm going to abuse your grace and you have nothing to say about it, but because in actuality, he's an awesome king. And Lord, you've got my attention. I'm living in according to you, in accordance to you. And notice it says here, uh, in exile. Uh, these guys that Peter was writing to were believers and probably Jewish believers that were spread out. And, and so you end up with them uh, in exile living in foreign countries, being mistreated, not having family caring for him. And he's saying, in the midst of your tough circumstances, reflect on the greatness of your God. Don't shake a fist. That's what we need to hear. What circumstance are you in? Where is God challenging you right now? What's your exile? Where you're feeling like, And God, I'm kind of fed up and I'd like to have this changed. And if it were me running the universe, I would do this. And and Lord, help me now to have a great respect for who you are and count the cost of you in charge. Notice it says right after that, now the cost of Christ, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. The precious blood of Christ. Why precious? Because it's all that could save us and nothing else. Precious because it wasn't one choice among many. It was one choice among one. Salvation offered through God himself. The precious blood of Christ. Like the lamb without blemish or spot. Able to be offered up for us as salvation. We have an amazing gift from God. It says he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you from eternity past. He existed and God had revealed him as Jesus Christ at their time 
who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. May you be a believer. May you have faith. May you have hope. May you be imperishable. May you absolutely grasp the greatness of your king. That's our privilege. The cost, Christ is willing to pay the way. What an amazing God we have. Lord, as I wake up today, I'm contemplating your stunning beauty, your awesome holiness, and I want to live for you. May you get my full attention. I'm hearing you. What do you want done in my life? What do you want changed right now, right here in this moment? That's what it looks like to walk with him as unholy in view of the holy God. Lord, teach me. What should I let go of? Where do you want me to go? Live with sacrifice in mind, not comfort. Live with king and his glory in mind, not self. You know, 200 years ago, there was a great missionary movement that had begun They were going worldwide, reaching out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, there was a large leper colony in Africa. And uh, it was so bad and so contagious that they actually, when somebody came down with one of the spots, they would put them in and never let them out again. That was the end of it. You would go into the colony and nobody would ever see from you again. There were colonies of people that had been living there for generations The gospel had not gotten in. There was no hope of them hearing it because nobody was going near them. And in the midst of this missionary movement, a handful of missionaries got on their knees and prayed for these people. And they were convinced God was calling them. They set everything down and went into the leper colony for life. They went in and said, it's such a short time here on earth. May you hear of the king and may more worshipers be made for him. That's why we're here. Can you imagine how that message ripped through that colony? As God moved in the Holy Spirit, as they shared of the love of Jesus Christ, as people coming to know him over and over, more and more, generation after generation, a community being reached that was locked out. They simply said this, Lord, we're counting the cost. And whatever you're calling me to, I'm ready to go. I'm telling you this, we're in a fallen world. Kind of obvious, right? And we've got a lot of hurting friends who don't know Christ. Be ready at the moment's notice to bring the beauty of the gospel message to bear. Counting the cost, recognizing they may look at you and say... Dude, you are weird if that's where you're at. I don't get you. I don't want to hear from you. That's the end of it. I wipe you out. Whatever they might say, you simply say this. Cool. Whatever. I'm telling you, I'm serving my king. He's alive and he rules and he reigns and he's coming again. Life eternal can be had. You can know him and I'm excited to have you know him. Let me share a little more with you. Please let me share a little more with you. I'm telling you as God ripens the fruit, it will bring a smile to your face as day after day you see people start coming to you to simply say, what gives with this story? 
What's going on with this Jesus thing? I'm not hearing it changing other people over here, but you, you seem to be all fired up on this thing. What's God doing in your life? May you count the cost. Be ready to be obedient. Be faithful to share that God might get the greater glory. We got an awesome privilege of experiencing him. Don't huddle and hold it to yourself. And all of God's people said, hey, that's what it's all about. Lord, may you be shared on the streets. May you rock this world. I am not here for people to like me. May you be glorified. And I always throw this in. Hear me. If you're sharing the gospel and people don't like you and it's because you're a jerk, please stop that. Okay. There's times where we can go share the gospel and we're like, I'm just telling them about Jesus. And like, no, you're not. You're actually just kind of ticking them off. And like, really, you need to find a balance there somewhere, right? It's it's time to hear from them and, and take them as far as they're listening and hearing and wanting to go. Ripe fruit. Walk with them as ripe as they are. Take them where their questions are at and where their questions stop and they can't move a step further. Then that's where God's got them today. And be praying for them. Everybody hear me on that? Like, be careful on this. You've got Jesus Christ. You know him. Don't jam it like you don't have him. You've got the greatest God in the world. Share him with all the love in the world. And watch what God does. We know the king. We know the king. May we worship him and celebrate him. Counting the cost as we go. Hey, follow him and his lead. That's what it's all about. Fourth step, love others. Live it out in the church. We just got done talking about outside the church. Live it out in the church. Love others in the church. Notice he says in verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, like you're saved, you believe in him for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. You know the one who is love. Please reach out in love to those around you. It says love earnestly. Like wanting it, hungering for it, desiring that they actually get to know you and him. It goes like this. Vertical passion, turn it horizontal and help them see who you can be in Christ. Love them. Notice it says, since you have been, and I love these words, born again of an imperishable seed, abiding in the word of God. And then it says at the end, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Verse 25, uh, the verse right before it, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers. Uh, did you notice that this week? <laughs> the grass withers. Uh, like, let's not be like the grass running. Let's make sure we grab onto him who is all glory. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Hey, let's love one another. Love earnestly. I just wrote these down. Ways you can love. Uh, reach out. Don't wait for them to talk to you. You talk to them. You may not know their name or you may need to be refreshed on their name. Reach out and get to know them a little bit. Second, learn their name. It's helpful. You're sitting near each other most likely. We're creatures of habit. You're probably picking the same basic area to sit in. Get to know the people sitting in those few rows around you. Be able to see them the next week and, and say their name. Right? And talk to them a little. Caleb, how's it going, man? Good to see you. And great to have you. Second and third row. You're here every time. Nine o'clock. Good to have you. Right on the end. And, and where's Renee? Things going well? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> All right. That's a little bit afterwards. We'll, t- we'll chat. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, just chatting with them. Reach out. Learn names. Include them. 
Like, hey, it's not just, hey, good to see you, Caleb, but invite him over to the house and, and have lunch and maybe do something, go out to eat, whatever. Get to know them a little bit. Have your kids hang with their kids. Hang out together. Spend some time together. Provide care. They may be in the hospital. They maybe have just had a baby. Something going on. Just get to them. Maybe they need a meal. Maybe they just need a listening ear. Maybe they need help mowing their lawn or watering it. Maybe they need some help. Weep with them or laugh with them and figure out which one it needs to be. Be careful. Cracking a joke too early can get you in trouble. See where they're at. See how they're doing. Weep with them and laugh with them. Loving. It's an active passion that you have for taking care of those around you. May God get the greater glory. You're called to long for his return. You're called to follow him, to count the cost, to love those around you. There's things we can do in this world to be active, passionate followers of Christ, following the good almighty king of the universe. May he get the greater glory. We're in a war. May God hear us surrender to him as we give our all to him. And all of God's people said, that's what it looks like. Let's pray.